Acts chapter 27 in your Bibles, if you would please. Aren't you glad we have the Bible? Someone said about the Bible, the cover is worn, though places are torn, though places bear traces, tra though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is the book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in the precious old book, many pleasures and treasures I see, many trophies of love from the Father above, who's nearest and dearest to me. This old book is my guide, a friend by my side, and will lighten and brighten my way, and every promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and I heed it each day. I hope you'll make much of the Bible, and especially when we have a little bit of downtime. Hey, there's no sports on television that I know about, just a bunch of reruns. Hey, spend a little time in the Word of God. Uh, so read a little bit more. Look for Jesus in the Bible. Look for the things that God wants us to learn. I started a message on Sunday morning and spoke a little bit about responding to the storms of life. And uh, there are numbers of stories in the Bible, and God tells us he gave us these stories so that we would know how to handle things. They're in samples for us. And God gives us truth in the Word of God to help us. The book of Acts is God's history book. Had the joy to speak for the rescue mission men this morning. I appreciate those men very much. I love them and was grateful. And I kind of took a little bit of trip through the book of Acts. And, uh, of course, you see it's a history book of the local church and the early church. In chapter 1, Jesus goes back to heaven. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down and infills God's believers. Chapter 3, God's people go out to pray and God begins to use them to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, really through folks coming to Jerusalem. Wonderful things happen in the book of Acts, and the church grew. Purity had to be reestablished in chapter 5, when, chapter 5, when Ananias and Phyrus lied to the Holy Ghost. Chapter 6, things begin to grow. The Grecian widows begin to tell the apostles, we feel like we're neglected. The, the Jewish widows are getting all the attention. We're not. And, of course, the... The apostles were getting bogged down with some of the, the important but yet mundane responsibilities of caring for people, and they were neglecting the Word of God and prayer, and so they got deacons together. And I thank God for the deacons of First Baptist Church, and I thank God for the faithful men who served with them. I'm going to meet with their officers on, on uh, Friday evening a little bit and talk about that and communicate with their deacons on some matters. But the deacons came, and some of those deacons, and many of them were Grecian deacons who were going to help work with the, uh, with the, uh, the Greek, Greek ladies that were there and the widows that needed their attention. And then we find that um, we find in chapter 7 that Stephen is stoned, and there's a young man holding coats, and, and he had already voted against uh, Stephen and voted that he should be executed. And there we find that Stephen's wife became a widow, and Stephen's kids became fatherless. And, and as a result of that, the other deacons, probably many moved off, and, and, and we find Philip, he and his wife, and maybe his four girls, he did have four daughters, don't know if they were alive at that time, but we know that they moved from Jerusalem and their home, and probably were safe before this execution, but they moved in Samaria, and God began to use them to win the Samaritans to Christ, and then uh, in the middle of that revival, Peter and John came up and confirmed that God was working their hearts and lives, and, and they baptized them, and they grew. Then 
in the middle of revival, God sent Philip out to reach the North African man from Ethiopia. Beautiful story of him chasing a chariot and giving people the gospel, watching him follow the Lord in believers' baptism. By the way, if you're saved, you need to get baptized. That's the next thing we ought to do. And then in chapter 9, God saves the Apostle Paul. And he, his name is Saul at the time, and he is a guy that has, a, he's, he's zealous. He loves, the, he loves the God of Israel, he, but he hates this new way. He hates Christianity. But God takes him and uh, turns him around. I can just imagine on the road to Damascus with, with the warrants in his hand to arrest more of people who call themselves Christians or who are uh, a part of worshiping Jesus. And God stops him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And uh, he says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Are you tired of overcoming the conviction I'm bringing to you? And he goes, I've got something special for you. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? By the way, every Christian ought to say that to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do uh, for you? Well, with that in mind, they say that maybe his ministry from the time he, uh, of course, got saved, he spent, he tried to go back to the house, to the Jerusalem church, and, but there he was staring into the eyeballs of widows that he had he had caused, and fatherless children who would have had their daddy in the home had he not uh, executed them or hauled them off in prison or caused them to lose. A lot of poverty was there, and even though he was a new believer, he was not accepted by the church of Jerusalem. Barnabas tried to convince them, but it wasn't working, and God sent him away to Arabia for three years to begin to be reprogrammed by the Lord Jesus, I think, in personal devotion, and then he found himself uh, taken to the church of Antioch by the Barnabas, someone who loved him, and they began teaching there, and then God sent him to make a missionary journey. He made several of those, at least three, and um, people say he probably passed away in A.D. 66, possibly at the age of 61, and only 18 years from the time he left Antioch until his head was taken off by the Roman emperor in Rome out of the Mamertine prison. But during that time, he was passionate about the work of the Lord. He was passionate about the Lord of the work. By the way, never get more passionate about uh, the work than you do about the Lord of the work. He loved Jesus Christ, and he knew that Christ loved him, who loved him and gave himself for him. He uh, focused on the person of Christ and getting the gospel out. That People all over Asia heard the gospel. He stayed in one place probably longer than any place with the church at Ephesus. He would visit these places. But now we see he's toward the end of his life. He'll have two years of house arrest that we learn about in Acts chapter 28 where he has got a, a place that he's renting there in Rome and he has a, a, a guard with him all the time but people can come in and visit him. And that's where he probably wrote the book of 1 Timothy. And that's where he wrote Philemon and Philippians and Colossians and other books of their Bible. That's where probably Luke was with him and probably wrote the book of Luke and, and, and the book of Acts during that two-year period of time. By the way, when you have downtime, he would love to have been out talking to people about Jesus, but he didn't. He was stuck in one place. He was confined to one house. He couldn't go see anybody. They had to come see him. Even the Jewish leaders in Rome had to find him and come to his place 
for him to witness to them. But he used his time wisely. By the way, that's a good idea for all of us. To use our time wisely, even in times of disappointment and restrictions, God is still at work. He still loves you. He still loves me. And by the way, if we're homebound for a little bit, hey, there's some things we ought to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to do more than just goof around on our phones and goof around on, on, on all the things that are going on. We might want to spend some time doing some things that could be productive for the kingdom of God, and I'm glad that Paul did that. But in Acts chapter 27, Paul is a prisoner. He has uh, uh, appealed to see Caesar. And he, he would love to have walked away, and he wasn't guilty of anything wrong, but the Jewish uh, zealots at the time wanted to kill him. They tried to execute him on their own ability. And so to avoid that, he chose to, um, to appeal to Caesar, and that put him in the hands of a guy named Julius. He was a centurion, and his, it was his job to take Paul and several other prisoners from where he was in Caesarea Philippi to Rome. To do that, they would normally would just take a boat and, and maybe two or three voyages, go from Alexandria over to Rome. But uh, this, for whatever reason, they weren't able to do that, and they did a lot of different uh, angles there. In that, in that process, however, we see that God began to do something very unique in the life of the Apostle Paul and put him on a shipwreck. He went in as a prisoner and somebody who had no influence, and he ended as really the boss of the, of the voyage. <laughs> uh, pe people listened to him more than they did the master of the ship. And God took and, and used a problem to platform him and give him influence. But you know, as a country, as a globe, as a world, as a community, as a town, and quite frankly, as a church, and as Christians, we're in a storm. And we're in uncharted waters. We don't exactly know everything that's going on. And, but decisions are important. But storms are oftentimes fairly miserable and uncertain. This one was no exception. And I want to read a couple verses here and then just share with you. I don't want to rehearse everything I've already told you from Sunday, but I think some of these things are very applicable, and I'll continue this message probably on Sunday morning as well. But let's look real quickly, if we can, at verse number 9. And when much time was spent, they sailed... Uh, sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed. So the fast is probably referencing Leviticus. is probably the Day of Atonement, which is in October. So now this is October. It's come and gone. This is somewhere toward the end of October, early November. Winter is coming. And uh, the winter is not like it is here in, in Chicago. It's a Mediterranean winter, but it's pretty miserable. And we'll find that out later. Paul admonished them and said unto them, verse number 10, and said, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive this void will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the lady of the ship, but also to our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master of the owner and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. And because the, the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart uh, they, uh, excuse me, depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice. Phoenice was a better place to be at, there to winter, which is the haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and the northwest. And when the wind, soft wind, blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close to Crete. Just a couple things. Every storm is not your fault. 
Some storms happen to a life just because we live in a sin-cursed world. Number two, some storms are self-inflicted. I cause them to myself. If you've got lung cancer because you've been smoking all your life, are you in a storm of lung cancer? And that is probably because you smoke. That just happens, you know. If, you know, you lost your temper at work and you got fired, you got a storm you created yourself. I've created a lot of storms for myself and opened my big mouth and lost my temper or did things that, that complicated my life. Certainly, there's some storms that we, we have just because we live in a sin-cursed world. Some because of their self-inflicted. Some, it's a sovereign work of God in our life. God's doing something in your life and in my life trying to help us and try to build patience and, and faith in God. Number four, some storms are caused by someone else. Somebody else's sinful decision has complicated our life. And that's kind of how Paul is. Paul is convinced he should not go on this trip. He spoke up and said, I think this trip is going to come with great danger, not only to the lading and the cargo of the ship, not only for the ship itself, but for our own lives. But he was uh, with Luke and Aristarchus, and they were three against 276. And he really wasn't making any decisions. That was the job of Julius, a centurion. And centurion believed the owner of the ship and the master of the ship more than he believed Paul. And they used several things to make their decisions. May I just say to you, don't let time and the shortness of time, the compulsion of time, make your decision. Bad idea. Number two, be careful that you listen to right counsel. Number three, don't go for just what is convenient and comfortable for you at the time. See, they were in a place called the Fair Havens in Lysaia. It was probably a podunk port. <laughs> it was probably not a place that would be a good place to stay for a long time. And they'd already been there a long time. They wanted to get to the island of Crete, to Phoenicia. That would be a place that would be much easier in which uh, they could winter. There probably a lot more restaurants, a lot more accommodations. And they thought to ourselves, we don't want to stay here. This is not a good place to stay for three months. We've already been here long enough. Let's move on. And the more part, be careful of the consensus. Just because everybody's doing does not mean that you need to do it and I need to do it. And then the last thing we see there is the circumstances. A soft south wind blew. <laughs> Well, circumstances and opportunities to do what's wrong are not always good, good things to combine. And be careful about that. But I want to learn a few lessons about the storm. You'll see in just a few moments. Let's look at the passage of Scripture. Now, I want to watch your time, and we're not going to watch it go by too much longer. But I want you to pay attention, if you would, please. If you have your Bibles, we're in Acts 27. Would everybody look, if you would, please, at verse number 14. But not long after they sailed... And uh, they got away. There arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocliden. It's a terrible, violent, agitated storm. And when the ship was caught, it could not bear up into the wind. We let her drive. And the running under of the certain island, which is called Clauda, we, gave, we had much work to come by the boat. A couple things real quickly. Just to remind you that storms can be very violent, very challenging. And I want you to notice, too, that even the wealthiest people, a guy who owned a ship had lots of money. He was probably owned the ship. People who had been on the, on, the, on the seas many, many times and many months and years of their life. But you know the truth of the matter is, there are storms of life that can knock you on your backside. It doesn't matter how much money you have. 
It doesn't matter how much uh, clout you have, how much authority you have, how powerful you are. There are some storms of life that are really crippling. And they're overwhelming. And we see here, he said, well, we could not bear up against it. And so we had to just let things happen. By the way, in the storm of what we're going through, some things we just got to let happen. Who would have ever thought we'd have all this uh, commotion and challenge over a little virus <laughs> that has turned unbelievably challenging in every front, economically, socially, spiritually, physically, it's attacked our sports. I never in my million years thought they'd ever cancel the, uh, the uh, March Madness. NBA, baseball, all these things. We worship these things. But you know what? A little virus has taken our attention off all that. I feel sorry if I work for ESPN right now. They've got some issues there. There's not much to talk about. They just keep talking about the same thing over and over again. Nonetheless, man, that's causing some issues. But, you know, it brings an overwhelming stress. And then oftentimes, it, it said they had to do much work by the ship. I mean, they had to work. They had to put extra, extra binding around it just to keep the ship afloat. By the way, we're working hard trying to sustain this virus. Everybody's working hard. The medical staff, the, the politicians, and the, the leaders, and the local governments, and, and the police officers, and the hospitals, everybody's working hard to try to keep the societal ship afloat. I may say to you that, that uh, there are problems, and oftentimes we approach it by working hard, and there's nothing wrong with that, but let me tell you, there's some storms, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're not going to get what we need. We, we need some help here. And then I, saw, I see here, the Bible tells us in verse number 17, when they had taken it up, they used the helps and undergirding of the ships, and they, they, they fixed it as best they could. They, they worked hard to secure the ship. But then in verse 18 says, and we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And after a day of trying to keep that ship afloat, they began to take things off that ship that were valuable and throw them overboard. I think this shows that some storms, they're overwhelming. They give you more questions than answers. You work hard to try to keep the ship afloat. May I say to you, um, oftentimes a storm will cause you to waste your resources. A lot of things are wasted during a storm. And by the way, things don't become all that important during a storm. There are some things that we treasured four weeks ago that, quite frankly, if we didn't have them, we're okay. If your mom or dad are in the hospital or they're on a, on a ventilator, I'm telling you, you're not going to be thinking about your new truck. You're not going to be thinking about this thing and getting this toy. That, there's some things that just take away all of that stuff. And sometimes we begin to waste resources. And then all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Quite frankly, there's despair. This is why the gospel is so important, friends. This is why we ought to be talking about Jesus. We ought to be engaged in visiting with people because in times like this, some people are finding despair. There, they've got their head listening to the news and listening to the thing. The first thing I saw this morning was now the, the, the people who have contacted the coronavirus is over 200,000. That over 8,000 people have died worldwide. That's the first thing I saw when I looked at my news feed this morning. Boy, I'm telling you what, I was glad I could run to my Bible. <laughs> I was glad I could run to God and say, Lord, it's all the more reason why I need to be faithful in getting the gospel because we live in a world without hope. 
With that in mind, I want to give you just a couple thoughts here. Look, if you would please, and I want to rehearse a little bit and give you a thought or two and we'll be done. Verse number 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened to me. <laughs> we should have never left. But it's interesting here, after a long abstinence, real quickly, while you're in a storm, be careful how quick you speak up. You might want to pray and exercise patience before that. I mentioned that on Sunday. I want you to think of another thing. I want you to think here at the next verse, verse number 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Dear friend, I want you to notice the value of one surrendered servant. The value. They're going to find out how much they need this man even when they said, no, you shouldn't go. We don't think it's a good idea. They ignored that. And he's going to go from being a prisoner to the boss. He's going to be someone who's going to have influence. But I want you to notice here, you can have value too. If you will be a surrendered servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe there's wisdom given. I believe there's strength given. There's stability given. When someone knows and practices the Spirit of God's presence in their life. Your neighborhood needs you. Your man at work, your ladies at work, your workplace, wherever you are, people who know you, they need some answers. I'm glad for the value of one surrendered servant. Quite frankly, I want to be that kind of a servant. I think you ought to want to be that kind of a servant. Somebody who, who speaks because you have met with Jesus. This is what he's going to say. He said, nobody's going to die here, but we're going to lose the ship. He said, be of good cheer. And the reason he did is because Jesus had met with him and he had met with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice real quickly that whenever someone is a rendered servant, you not only bring influence for the Lord, you bring protection to those around you. Once again, there's 276 people on this ship in this storm. Can you tell you there's, there's people around you that need you to be surrendered to the Lord? So be patient. Uh, let me encourage you to be patient and prayerful before you speak. But when you speak, know that you need to be a surrendered servant. Number three, as we cherish this time, is look to Jesus in the storm. Look to Jesus. Look for Jesus. Talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus, talk for Jesus, especially in times of difficulty. People are looking for answers. Some folks heard the gospel when they were children in the bus ministry. Somebody, they have a grandmother been praying for them, and grandmother's on, gone to be the Lord, but now they'll turn to the Lord if you will be uh, a spokesman for the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 23, and we'll close with this tonight. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. I want you to notice here that that angel of God is, I believe, is the messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says here, I, I want you to remember whose you are and who you serve. I am so glad for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make much of him. I want you to make much of him. I want us to look to the Lord, and especially in a storm, you ought to develop a relationship with Jesus that would be greater and stronger because there is a storm coming, there's difficult times coming, and God's people need to be solid, holy, surrendered servants, 
and in personal love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who you are. You belong to the Lord. Remember uh, who you serve. And by the way, if you're not serving the Lord, you ought to get back on it right quick. There is no reward for well done, thou good and faithful spectators. Do something for the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness and be faithfully uh, connected to him. And he says here, be of good cheer. I believe God. Dear friend, if there's any time that we need faith, it is today. I'm looking forward to sharing some principles that God has shown me that I didn't get to this evening on Sunday. But I believe while we're in the storm, there are lessons we can learn. Could I encourage you? Would you take time to read Acts chapter 27 and 28? Think of some things that can be an encouragement to us. We'd love to hear from you. You're welcome to communicate with me uh, at Connect, FBC, uh, Hammond. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this passage of Scripture. May the Lord help us on this Wednesday night.